I don't often have dreams where the Lord speaks to me exactly what to preach. But I had a dream that I already shared about on Sunday, about the message that I preach on Sunday. And I had another dream where the Lord showed me what to preach about tonight. Uh, actually, even before we came to the States, I dreamed about that. So I knew it was like a custom-made message for your church. And I pray that it's prophetic and that it is helpful to you. When we preach, a lot of times we're, we're dealing with things not just in the lives of people who are at the meeting, but even with things that are going on in the spirit world. It can be things that are happening in in the area that God wants to deal with. It makes it easy to pick your topic when the Lord speaks to you like that in a dream. But the name of my message this evening is The Rock of Offense. And if you have a, a Bible... I'm going to open up and read from 1 Peter chapter 2. And it says there, starting in verse 4, As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. If I would have to come up with a a definition for what offense is, it's when something happens that goes unresolved, that then causes other things in us to start to build up. If a person comes to me with a list of complaints, a list of things that they don't like, I already know this person is offended. It's an unresolved issue that becomes like pair of sunglasses, a pair of colored lenses that begin to affect our perspective and the way that we see everything. So many issues of offense could be dealt with if we would have good, healthy communication. If we would learn to keep small fires small, deal with things when they happen, have good, direct, honest communication. Biblically speaking, the words for stumbling or tripping up, falling, is used interchangeably with offense. It means to have a falling, to get tripped up. 
Jesus has a lot of interesting titles that we can find in Scripture. A lot of amazing titles that we can find in Scripture. He is called the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Savior of the world, the Passover Lamb, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Word. But this is another very interesting title that we find for Jesus here. The Rock of Offense. Everything that Jesus did could have potentially been very offensive to people. His love and His compassion could have been offensive. His teaching could have been offensive. His whole world view could have been offensive. His cross, the work that He did for us in His death, in His resurrection, could have been offensive. Even Paul said that the cross is a stumbling block for the Jews. It was very offensive to the Jews to people who didn't believe, to people whose eyes God had not yet opened to see the truth of the Gospel. Jesus is the rock of offense. And it says that we have come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the great rock upon which the whole church is built. But He can also be a rock of offense. What makes the difference between the chief cornerstone and the rock of offense? It tells us very clearly here. Faith. Obeying the Word of God. It says that they stumble because they disobey the Word as they were dis destined to do. It, it clearly shows us the difference between those who did not believe and those who have believed. Usually offense is a sign of unbelief. It is a, it, it is a, a cause, a fruit that comes from a root of unbelief that is in a person's life. It says in Psalm 119, Great peace have those who love your word. Nothing will make them stumble. Nothing will make them get offended. For those who love the Word of God, for those who embrace the Word of God, for those who live in the Word of God, nothing will make them stumble. Peter writes here a lot of things about stones. He thought a lot about stones. He had time to, to meditate on the idea of stones because the first time that he met Jesus, his name was Simon. But Jesus looked at him and he said to him, you are Simon, the son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. He gave him this, this nickname. He gave him this spiritual name. He said, you are going to be called Cephas, Peter, which means 
a rock. And later on, Jesus once was talking with His disciples. He said to them, Who do men say that I am? And they they said all the different opinions that people had. They said, Some say that you're Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. All different opinions. But Jesus asked them, Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered Him and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah. And Jesus said to him, Flesh and bone has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And you are Peter. You are a rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He was called to be a rock. He was called to be this strong stone. But even artists have to work a long time with stone, using a chisel, using a hammer, to shape them and to make them into something beautiful, to make them into a piece of art. Michelangelo had to work a long time with a block of marble to see it become David. They had to work a long time on Venus de Milano to make it the beautiful statue that it became. And God had to work a long time on Peter to form him, to shape him into the type of rock that God wanted him to be. The type of rock that God could build with. He had to be shaped. He had to be formed. Much had to be chipped off of him. How many of you can relate well to Peter? (laughs) He was very outspoken. He put his foot in his mouth a lot. By what he said, he got in trouble time and time again. He was at times quick to act. And then he would have to deal with the ramifications of what he did afterwards. He was very bold, but a lot of times his boldness would get him into trouble. He was like a strong horse that needed to be tamed, that needed to be broken, that needed to be taught and worked with. One important lesson that Jesus taught him about offense was when John the Baptist was in prison. And John the Baptist, he was one of the first to to recognize Jesus for who he was. The Son of God, the Messiah. He prophesied about him. But when John ends up in prison... He starts to have questions. He starts to wonder. One of the prophecies about Jesus said that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon Him because He has been anointed to proclaim freedom to all those who are in captivity. But when John ended up in prison, Jesus didn't even go and visit him. And he was his relative, maybe like his cousin, He had known him for a long time. 
And Jesus didn't go to check on him, to see how he was doing, to bring him something to eat. So John sent some of his disciples to ask Jesus, were you the one that we were waiting for or should there be somebody else? And at that same hour, Jesus healed many sick people, did a lot of miracles. And he says to John's disciples, go back and tell John the things that you have seen and heard. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lepers are cleansed, the paralyzed get up and walk, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Then Jesus said, Blessed or happy is he who is not offended because of me. Happy is he who doesn't get tripped up in me. That was an important lesson. How do you respond when Jesus doesn't do for you what you're expecting for Him to do? Right before this passage that we started with in uh, 1 Peter 2, it says, Since you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, are you feeding on the goodness of God? Are you feeding on what God has done for you? Or are you feeding on what hasn't happened yet? Are you feeding on the testimony of His goodness, the testimony of His love? Another important lesson that Jesus gave Peter about offense happened when Jesus fed the 5,000. The next day, the people that Jesus fed came looking for Him. And Jesus had an interesting conversation with those people. He said to them, Truly I say to you, you're looking for me, not because of a sign that you saw that I did, but you are looking for me because I gave you food to eat. These are the the type of disciples, and I'll say disciples in quotation marks, who, when things get difficult, disappear. Where are they? Can I tell you, if you are easily offended, you won't last long as a true disciple of Jesus. They said to Jesus, Moses gave our fathers bread to eat in the wilderness. He gave them manna. What are you going to do for us? Like, that was just rude. Like, they were saying, yeah, well, we came to you because we're expecting that you're going to give us bread. You're going to give us fish. We don't want to have to work anymore. You're supposed to feed us. Then we'll believe in you. So Jesus starts this conversation with them where really what he was trying to do is to get rid of them. And it gets to the point where he says to them, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And when he said that in John chapter 6, verse 60 and 61, it says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? 
But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Like, are you offended that I said that? Like, just stick around. I'll say something a lot more offensive than that. Do you get offended with that? Like, you ain't seen nothing yet. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? The, the word there in, in Greek for hard saying or hard word, it's a really interesting word. One translation says, this is too much. Other translations say, this is a rough word, a difficult word, a very unpleasant word, a harsh word. This is an offensive word. But it, it comes from a word that actually means to get dried out. Like, if you have leather that you would leave out for a longer time in the sun, it would start to get stiff and, and unmoving. It means something that's stubborn, unyieldingly harsh. Can I tell you that the words of Jesus don't change for us. We need to change for the words of Jesus. We can't shape His Word to our liking. We need to allow His Word to shape us. Like if you would have some really dry bread that you've had for a while. Maybe you're feeling too lazy to go to the store. So you have some bread that you've already had for a while. You can sometimes refresh it by putting it in the toaster. Otherwise, you might need to put a whole lot of butter on it to help it go down. You might need to drink some water with it. It's something that's hard to swallow. Or if you would have dehydrated fruit, maybe you have some dehydrated plums or some apricots or raisins, Fruit that gets dry, you have to chew on it a lot more. If you want to eat dry fruit, you have to have really good teeth. You have to chew on it. Or if you have like dried meat, like beef jerky, it, it again is quite tough. You really got to chomp down on it. That's what they were saying about these words of Jesus. Because Jesus was saying, I am the bread of life that comes down from heaven, who gives life to every person. But they were saying, man, this is, this is hard. This is dried out bread. We, we can't really swallow it. We, we got to chew on it a lot. Then Jesus turns to them and he, he says to them, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Which words are spirit and life? The hard words of Jesus are spirit and life. 
those words that are difficult for us to swallow. Actually, the words of Jesus that are the hardest for us to hear are the words that have the greatest potential to change us in our lives. Think about some of the things that that Jesus said at different moments. He said to us that we should love our enemies. That we should forgive our brother 70 times 7 in a day and even more. He said to us that we must die daily. We have to pick up our cross and follow Him. That we have to leave all else, forsake all else to follow Him. There are so many hard things that Jesus said. I could even ask you, was there anything that Jesus said that was really easy? Were there any easy words that Jesus had? Probably not. The words that are hard for us to hear are the words that have the greatest potential to change us. The greatest potential to transform us. This word for hard is the same word that we find when Saul meets Jesus on the Damascus road. He sees a light shining down from heaven. And he says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord, that I'm persecuting? To me, it's Jesus. He says to him, it is hard for you to kick against the pricks. Now, during that time, if you had an ox that was more stubborn, you would get a stick that had a nail at the end of it. And if the ox was going in a direction you didn't want it to go, you would tap the back of its leg to make it go in the opposite direction. It was the way that you could tame them. It was the way that you could teach them to follow your instructions. But God was saying to Saul, you've been trying to kick, you've been trying to resist, you've been stubborn, and it is hard for you. It's that same word for hard. You see, Saul had already heard the preaching of the gospel through Stephen. And that word was already working on his heart. It was already working in his life. But he was resisting it. He was fighting against it. How will you respond to the word of the Lord? How will you respond even to those hard words of Jesus that He speaks to you? Because it's those hard words of Jesus that are spirit, that are life unto us. Then, a very notorious verse of the Bible is John 6.66. That's an easy one to remember. 6.66. It says, Many of the disciples went away and they stopped following Him. (laughs) Jesus was left alone with the twelve. And He turns to them and He says, do you guys want to go too? Jesus gives His disciples tests sometimes to see what's really in their heart. I don't know about you, but I want to pass His test with flying colors. I want to get high grades on his tests. Do you guys want to go too? Like, I'm not controlling you. I'm not holding on to you. I'm not manipulating you. 
Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? John 6, 68. You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that You are the Holy One of God. What were the words that Jesus had that could lead to eternal life? It was those hard words of Jesus. The difficult sayings of Jesus. Peter recognized it's those words that really give spirit and life. It's in those words that we have eternal life. Lord, to whom else would we go? In that instance, Peter passed the test. He did not fall. He did not get offended. But later on, we see that on the night before Jesus went to the cross, Jesus told His disciples, you're all going to leave me. You're all going to run away. And Peter says, Lord, even if everyone else leaves you, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to stay with you all the way to the end. He was relying on Himself. He was really proud in that moment. He was trusting in His own ability and strength. He was comparing Himself to the others. And it says, Matthew 26:33. Peter answered him and said, "Though they all fall away because you of you, I will never fall away. Though all the others fall away, I'm not going to fall away." Remember, the word for stumble. To fall is used interchangeably with offense. And actually in the King James Bible it says, even if everyone else gets offended because of you, I'm not going to get offended. Offense is so common in the world today. There's such a spirit of offense stirred up in the world. We live in a generation of snowflakes. Of people that can be so easily hurt and so sensitive. God wants us to be strong in Him. But we cannot avoid offense in our own ability, in our own power. It's only by His grace that we can be held up from falling. It's only by His grace that we can live a life above offense. When everyone else around us is getting offended, we can so easily fall into that. It's only by His grace that we stand. It's only by His grace that we can live above offense in our lives. We, of course, know what happened to Peter. Jesus said to him, Simon, Simon. Notice He didn't call him Peter in that moment because he wasn't acting like a rock. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to shift you like grain. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail you. And when you return, strengthen your brothers. 
What held up Peter in that time of testing was the prayer of Jesus that was still working in his life. When Satan came and tried to have him, Jesus' prayers upheld him. And Jesus looked forward already to his return. Even before Peter sinned, Jesus already looked forward to the moment when he would come back again. Before the rooster crowed, Peter denied Jesus three times. He called down even curses on himself. He said some bad words. And then when he heard the rooster crowing, Jesus' eyes met his eyes. In that moment, he felt like such a failure. That he let not just Jesus down, he let himself down. After all those years of being with Jesus, he's like, have I not changed at all? And he went outside and he wept bitter tears. Tears of disappointment. It was probably the lowest moment in his whole life. But when Jesus rose from the grave first message he sent to his disciples, he, he said, one, it was actually through an angel, go and tell the brothers and Peter. He wanted to make sure that he was included. That's the grace of God at work. <laughs> Peter said, to some of the other disciples, I'm going fishing. Jesus had told him, you will no longer fish for fish. From now on, you're going to fish for people. But in that low moment of his life, he went back to what was comfortable for him. He went back to his old way of living, to his old pattern that he had lived in. He went back to fishing fish. And all night he tried to fish, but he didn't catch anything. And that morning, Jesus came to him, standing on the shore. And Jesus cries out and said, Little children, did you catch anything? Jesus was talking to them in that moment like they were not mature. In an affectionate way, but still he was recognizing their immaturity. They said, we fished all night and didn't catch anything. And Jesus again tells them to cast their nets on the other side. And when they did, they again had a miraculous catch of fish. And all the memories came flooding back to Peter in that moment. And John said to him, it's the Lord. And when he heard that, he got dressed again. He dove into the waters and he swam all the way to the shore because he couldn't wait to get back to Jesus again. When the others arrived, he single-handedly went, grabbed the whole net of fish and pulled it in because he was so wanting to show Jesus how he had changed, how he was different now. Jesus, after they had breakfast together, as a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with Peter. One conversation that brought restoration. One conversation that brought reconciliation. I have heard it spoken prophetically.
that 2022 is a year of reconciliation and of restoration. Broken relationships. People who are not getting along. That Where there is walls up, there will be reconciliation. Those who had fallen away, who have fallen into all types of things, will be restored by the power of God's grace. 2022, a year of reconciliation and of restoration. And Peter speaks with Jesus there. And Jesus says to him, Simon, notice he doesn't call him Peter. Simon, do you love me more than all of these? Oh Lord, you know I love you. Three times Jesus asked him if he loved him. Three times he answered and said, Lord, you know I love you. But what Jesus was asking him each of those times was, Do you agape me? Do you love me with God's divine love? And each time he responded and said, Lord, you know that I filio you. You know that I love you like a brother. But Jesus wanted a higher level of love coming from Peter than that. He wanted his love for him to mature and to grow. Jesus told him, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Take care of my little lambs. He's bringing him back in that conversation to the beginning. To his purpose. To his calling. Then Jesus says to him, Follow me. The very words that he had spoke to him when Peter first met Jesus. Follow me. When Peter had fallen... When Peter had found an offense in Jesus, Jesus came to him to bring restoration to him and to lift him up again. There's a verse that is very dear to my heart that the Lord spoke to me for this year. It's Micah 7, 8. It says, Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I will rise. When I sit in darkness... The Lord will be a light to me. Rejoice not over me, my enemy. We are all warriors. We are all called to fight in this good fight of faith. But there are moments when as warriors we stumble, we fall. Rejoice not over me, my enemy. Though I stumble... Yet I will arise. Every single time He helps us get up again. Though I sit in the darkness, yet His light will shine upon me. That is what God's grace does for us. That is how God restores those who are fallen. Now to Him who is able to keep you from falling. Great peace will have those who love your word. Nothing will make them stumble. Nothing will make them get offended. 
they can live a life above offense. On the day of Pentecost, there was no debate. There was no discussion. They all knew who was going to preach the first message in the early church. Just about 50 days after his restoration, Peter stands up to preach the gospel to a crowd of many thousands of people as an example to the church of God's grace and of the power of restoration that comes into all of our lives. When Peter preaches, he didn't have a very soft message. He had a hard message for those people that day. He basically says to them, You crucified Jesus. It says in Acts 2, verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brother, brothers, what shall we do? Where it says they were cut to the heart, what it literally says there is they were pierced to the heart. Like a sword that comes and cuts all the way through deep into the heart. It pierced them through. And Peter gave them some very clear steps. He says, repent, be baptized in water, and you will receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. This is for you and for your children and for all of those that the Lord our God will call. When people look for clear steps of how to walk out the Word of God, that is when the Word can really pierce through into their hearts. But in Acts 5, Peter is addressing a different type of a crowd. The Sanhedrin. And he's there with the other apostles preaching to them. And he actually shares with them a similar message. He says to them, You crucified Jesus. You were responsible for His death. And it says in Acts 5, in verse 33, When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they took counsel how to kill them. But the word used here for cut, it's actually a very different word. It means they were sawn in half. Like when you take a saw and you use force to be able to cut some wood. It's a grinding, lacerating type of pain that's produced that led not to repentance, not to change, but to hatred. They didn't have hearts that could be pierced. They had hard hearts so the Word could not go through into their hearts. Yeah, it cut them, but it, it cut them more like a saw would cut wood. It made them angry. Similar words, but very different reactions that came from people. In another place it says about people who are uncircumcised in heart and in ears. 
that means they are people who have not yet been cut by the Word. When you allow the Word to to cut you, when you allow the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, to go all the way into your heart, when you really hear the Word, when you look for steps of how you can live it out in your life, that is when the Word circumcises your heart and it circumcises your ears. That is how you can be a person of covenant with God. When you allow the word to go all the way into your heart, that's when it changes you. That's when it transforms you. That's when it makes you into a different person. The word of God. Peter said, But you have come to him, a living stone. Rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a royal priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We all are these living stones. We have been shaped. We have been formed by the hands of God. He has taken like a chisel and a hammer in His hand to form us into something that we weren't before, to make us into something else, to make us into this beautiful house built upon the chief cornerstone, Jesus. As we have obeyed His Word, as we have believed His Word, as we have allowed His Word to go deep within our hearts, even when it cut us, even when it hurt us, even when it was difficult for us to swallow, even those hard words of Jesus, but we listened to them and we embraced them. And we said, Lord, be it unto me according to Your Word. Ask yourself, is that in the Bible? Well, yeah, it's in the Bible. Well, then I want to live it. The more difficult the Word is, the harder the Word is, the more that Word can change you. The more powerful that Word can be in your life. Some Christians are like, how can I see change in this area of my life? How can I see this stronghold broken? How can I see this bondage broken in my life? Take the hard words of Jesus and apply it in that area of your life. Start to live the Word of God. Yes, Jesus can be the rock of offense if we don't believe, if we disobey. But Jesus can be the chief cornerstone of our life. He can be the rock upon which we build our houses. That even though the storms may come, the wind may blow, the rain may come, upon our house, but if it's built upon the rock, that house will be sustained. It will continue. That is a person who takes the Word of God and applies it to their lives. 
So we will be a people who not just hear the Word, but we will be a people who live the Word of God. A people who love the Word of God, who live in great offense, who live, excuse me, in great peace, who will not be offended. Nothing can make them get offended. Nothing can make them stumble. And I even believe that there are those in Camden, I'm speaking right now prophetically, who got tripped up who fell a little bit, but the Lord is going to lift them up again. He is going to bring restoration into their lives. There's going to be relationships that were broken, that God is going to bring reconciliation. Such powerful testimonies are going to come this year. For those people who fell, God is speaking to them and saying, Rejoice not over me, my enemy. Though I fall, yet I will arise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will cause His light to shine upon me. That the light of the Word will shine in their lives and in their heart. And the Lord will bring a lifting up into the lives of those people. The Lord is here tonight to touch hearts. He's here tonight to touch minds. He's here to bring freedom to you. Even freedom from every spirit of offense. Any demonic lie that would try to get you tripped up, there is freedom for you by the Spirit of God in this place. Hallelujah. 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 Let's all stand together in the presence of the Lord. Jesus. We want to be a people that embrace and love Your Word so much. Even those hard sayings that You have, even the difficult words.